Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories, where we share the most exciting, the most innovative stories in the Asian tech ecosystem. And if you ever ask my next guest today, are you free to catch up next Wednesday? You may find his personal assistant, Evie, step in and arrange that schedule with you. What you may not know is that Evie isn't a real person, but an AI-powered personal assistant. And it's pretty impressive, too. I say it, maybe it's she, maybe she's pretty impressive, too. You see, I'm an AI graduate, so I'm pretty aware of most AI-looking things, from chatbots to the Turing test. But this is the first time I ever interacted with Evie. I thought she was a real person, so it's that good. So, to lift the lid... On the life of his assistant, I'm joined today in the ATP Story Studio with by Praveen Velu, co-founder of EV.ai, to talk about AI and what he's learned building an AI-powered startup in Singapore. Praveen, welcome to the show. Morning, Graham. It's good to be with you. Excellent. The real man himself, powering the AI personal assistant. I think to start off with, talking about Evie, there's an interesting backstory, isn't there, with your original name for the company, because it helps people understand how this all sort of fits into context, because you weren't called Evie originally, you were called Mimetic, so some people may have heard of you from that company name, but you eventually changed your name to Evie, so before we dive into Evie and find out what it, she is, and I'm interested to know how you refer to it in your company as well, tell us a little bit about how you started off naming this mimetic and why you changed that to ev yeah so two years ago uh my co-founder uh a guy named jin and i thinking maybe a little bit too ahead of our time thought that uh we should probably differentiate the company from all the product lines that we were going to build eventually so we spent a lot of time trying to come up with a uh, kind of punchy company name and finally we settled on mimetic uh, the root word for mimetic is mimic, and we really want, and we still do, uh, want to build products that, uh, from an interaction standpoint, uh, uh, completely uh, mimic uh, how human beings cooperate, uh, communicate with each other and should be indistinguishable from another human being. Uh, but two years down the line, I think uh, that hasn't quite caught on. We've heard every pronunciation variation of the word mimetic now. Mm. Uh, and even when we go to conferences and they issue our passes, it usually has our name on it and our company, mimetic.ai. But then they also feel compelled to put EV in brackets because really everybody knows EV. Uh, mimetic was always a bit of a mouthful. So uh, a couple of months ago, we decided, you know, we're done with mimetic, which is going to be EV.ai. Got it. So you're going to this conference, you have the lanyard with mimetic on it, brackets, EV.ai, and somebody no, walks... just Evie. Right, Evie now, okay. So somebody walks up to you and sees Evie. What's the typical kind of reaction when they clock that and they realize who that is and who you are? Yeah, so three types of people. Uh, one, either, is, you know, they've never heard of us. Uh, the other is their users and then they start gushing on the spot about how <laughs> EVs uh, kind of change their lives right. and uh, change the way they work. Or there's somebody else who's uh, interacted with EV and hadn't quite clocked that she's not a human being. Mm. 
Yeah, so then that always is a, a very good conversational starter. And we hear from our users about how uh, uh, the topic of EV has become a bit of an icebreaker when they're meeting people for the right. first time. And right. we've heard stories about you know uh, users going uh, attending uh, conferences or lunches, and you know people have issued passes for EV, thinking that she's coming as well, or made an additional reservation for her. Uh, so we've had people walk into uh, customer offices insisting that they're there. Right, EV. right, right. Yeah. I want to speak to EV. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's a really good sign. If we bring that back to the artificial intelligence side of things, for those, I mean, everybody knows AI now. But there's a there's a sort of a, a marker in AI which was established many years ago, which is the Turing test, which is I mentioned earlier, which is you know when people ask what actually is intelligence, there's so many different you know definitions of what intelligence is. You can take a very philosophical approach, you can take a biological approach. So you know people say, well, artificial intelligence is this thing actually intelligent? It's maybe a bit of a philosoph- philosophical discussion, but it, I guess it's important in the longer scheme you know the longer view of things but the turing test basically said look if this thing this assistant this program this robot whatever it is appears to be intelligent or appears to you know behave in a way that somebody thinks it's a human being then it's intelligent so the mark of intelligence is does this thing actually behave in a way that a human being or any other kind of animal if it was mimicking that behaves so it's very interesting that people actually think Evie is a real person. It's I don't know I don't know if the word fooling them is appropriate really here, right? But I'm just kind of curious about how you see it within your company. So let's talk about that. First of all, do you refer to Evie as an it, a she, or just curious? How do you call it in your company? Uh, we refer to Evie as she, right? Uh, you know. Uh, she has become somewhat anthropomorphized, uh-huh. uh, and you know, just uh, as a term of endearment, we do refer to her almost as if she were a real person. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that may be a small touch, but it may have a more profound impact as well, longer term. How about how you you think about these things, right? So let's talk yeah. about. Yeah, no, I was going to Go say on. you make an interesting point about intelligence, right? And is the mere ability to mimic human beings a sign of intelligence? Probably not. So if you take Evie, for example, she might set up uh, a lunch appointment for you and me, but she really has no idea that uh, what in the conventions of human beings is this thing called lunch, Mm. right? Other than the fact that it takes place uh, across a certain time range from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock every day, uh, for example, so uh, is that truly intelligence? Probably not. Uh, we don't think that uh, artificial intelligence is anywhere close to what we're accustomed to when we talk about uh, intelligence. Uh, and it's going to take a while to get to that point if, we, if ever we can. Mm. Well, we're going to the whole discussion about consciousness and all that area which we kind of open up, which really is beyond what we are able to program at this stage right because the whole thing yeah. about you know understanding that lunch is this thing it's this kind of interaction and all the associations with it and also to be aware of that i mean evie's obviously not self-aware so or we don't know 
obviously. So that's that <laughs> whole dis- exactly that's the whole discussion. I mean, some people say that consciousness is this thing which is you know a very human thing. It's almost you know not a spiritual thing, but at the same time, some people say, well, consciousness is just a byproduct of lots and lots of you know processes going on in the brain. So yeah. anyway, that's that's a you know a, a whole series of podcasts, and we won't go down that avenue. Let's talk about what Evie actually is. So if I were to say. You know, Praveen, let's, let's, uh, you know, I'm going to be in Singapore. Let's, um, you know, meet up and are you free to catch up next Wednesday? What is the process that kicks in there, you know, where Evie gets involved? Right. So I typically get an email from you saying as much. And then at that point, I just uh, copy Evie into that email and say, Graham, sounds great. Let's catch up next Wednesday. Um, Evie is on copy and she's going to help find us a time. And from that point onward, she steps in and she takes over the entire interaction with you. So she'll reach out and based on my schedule and preferences, uh, propose some time slots for you. And then from there, she'd go back and forth with you mm. until the two of you can come to an agreement. I'm taken out of the loop, so I don't have to deal with those emails. Um, and, you know, even if you... Uh, don't respond or you're slow to respond, Evie will be sort of diligent about following up with you. So uh, it frees up a lot of mind space for me. For me, it's it's what we call fire and forget scheduling. I just s- send an email with Evie on it and then I don't have to think about it again until it shows up on my calendar. Right. So I guess it's a lot of pattern recognition going on here. They're looking at typical kind of responses. Are you, is Evie... Preempting certain responses and then, okay, that kind of matches that response, which says, okay, because, you know, if I, if Evie comes back to me and says, you know, how about this time? And I say this time or maybe an hour later, there's so many permutations, isn't there, of what could possibly come back to Evie. Yeah. That, and, and getting it right is kind of important because if she books in, if she just sees 1230 when I said 1230, but I'd prefer 130. Do you see what I mean? If actually she books in 12.30 but wanted one thirty, it could go wrong. How do you account for all that? I mean, that must be crazy trying to preempt all the different kind of, you know, different responses a, a person could come back with. Yeah, so actually this is probably a good place to talk about why we started with scheduling, right? Uh, from a From a technology standpoint, we started with scheduling because it was a good way to teach an assistant like Evie uh, about people and how we talk about concepts like time and space. And you're absolutely right. The way we talk about these things, there's so many different permutations. And she needs to be able to uh, understand, have an expectation of the range of responses that could possibly come through to any questions that she's asked. So uh, one variation is uh, let's meet for lunch next week. And then you respond going, uh, okay, Wednesday 12-1, got to run by 115. Mm-hmm. At that point, she needs to be able to understand that you've actually said yes to lunch on Wednesday and that you, your, but your window is 12 to 1 and maximum you've got to run by 115, right? So that's kind of, that's, that's why we started building EV with the task of scheduling before we move on to do other stuff because she really needs to understand how we talk about these concepts. Mm. So how do, so for example, if I, if I, I don't want to get too deep into the programming because obviously that's a, a whole new world as well. But if I was to come back and just say something like that would be cool, 
You know, he, mm-hmm. here's, here's the challenge because as human beings, when we look at the word that, we understand that that is a concept referred to already in the conversation, right? So yeah. we kind of, we, we have a nuance, which is this sort of, you know, there's a, there's a meta conversation going on as well where, you know, we remember the context. And so when I say that, I remember that's the suggestion you just talked about. Is Evie good at picking up on those nuances? I mean, how have you found that? Because that's a real challenge with processing language. Yeah, and and that's why with something like Evie and it's how you we differentiate Evie from just regular chatbots, it's going beyond the, a syntactic understanding of language to building a semantic understanding, taking into th- account things like uh, context, for example, mm. right, in order to be able to uh, make a decision as to what someone is talking about. And that really is the hard problem. And that's why it takes a while to build something like EV. You, you, you're basically teaching uh, a thing that has no conception of our world and how we operate in it to sort of uh, take in all the variations in, in which uh, we talk about things uh, and understand and run with it. And, and, and that's why you also kind of start with something quite so narrow as, as, as scheduling, right. because then you limit the context, right? If you, if you start with, uh, a, a chatbot assistant that really does anything and everything for you, uh, it becomes a bit of a challenge and, uh, it becomes a bit of a disillusionment for the end user as well. So if you think right. about some of the more, uh, prominent and early assistants in the space where you were invited to ask anything and everything of that assistant. And when the response typically comes back, I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you mean. After a while, you know, people stop trying. Right. So we, we've sought to limit our domain to that of scheduling and try to create value for people uh, within there. And at the same time, um, build the capabilities of the system as we go so that over time we're doing more than just scheduling for them. Yeah. This comes back to that conversation about where you started out with Mimetic, isn't it? That yeah. you had this bigger idea and I want to go there and find out a little bit more about that. Cause that's really fascinating before we do just talking about Evie a little, just so we can understand, obviously you've mentioned chatbots already, which I imagine, I don't know the, the architecture in chatbots, so I imagine it's pretty much hardwired, isn't it? It's like, okay, here's, here's the decision tree and they're going to go down this decision tree. Do you want to speak to A, B or C? Do you want to do A, B or C? But with Evie, even though it's quite a narrow band context where you're talking about the calendar scheduling, mm-hmm. right? There are a lot of different responses that you could get. So, is I mean, to what extent is Evie hardwired and what extent is she, you know, learning on the job? Yeah. So without, I, I don't know how much of Jin's secret sauce I'm allowed to reveal. No, so I don't want to get into yeah. trouble there. Uh, but I think our approach is kind of a hybrid approach, right? Uh, we use a combination of traditional rules-based system uh, and machine learning uh, in the natural language side of things. So f- for us to teach EV what lunch is, we wouldn't need like 200,000 neatly annotated examples of lunch. Right. That would just be a rule that we've set up. If somebody says lunch, they mean between the hours of 12 and 2. Uh, whereas the natural language, the, the machine learning, it really comes in to teaching EV, uh, 
variations in responses, right? So that's cool. It's the same as saying, okay, I agree. I'm happy to do it at that time. Uh, all of these uh, responses essentially map to that's cool. Hmm. And what if, what if they were to come back and throw in something random like, okay, by the way, I'm vegan. So, so we've also learned that it's important how you fail, right? If you don't understand something, you shouldn't pretend to understand it and take action. Right. Uh, so in a situation where Evie doesn't understand a response, what she does is she reverts to uh, the organizer and says, hey, I've, I've just received this note from okay. Graham. Don't quite understand what uh, Graham means. Uh, could I trouble you to respond? Got it. Excellent. Well, that makes complete sense, doesn't it? I guess in the traditional chatbot sense, it would come back and say, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about being vegan. That kind of, which is just kind of, it's a holding pattern really, isn't it? To bluff their way through it. Yeah. And I think what we've seen from the way chatbots are built, if they were to do something like scheduling, you know, I'd probably tell the bot, find Graham and I a time to meet. Yeah. And then the bot will come back and say, okay, when? Then I'd say next week. What day? Wednesday. What time? Between 12. At that point, you know, I might as well just do it on my own. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with Evie, it's just find Graham and I a time to meet. Yeah. Right. And then off she goes. Excellent. So I'm really fascinated about this, this bigger idea that you have. This is going back to mimetic. And to put this into context from my background with AI, you know, when I was studying AI in the nineties, the big thing then was evolutionary robotics which was basically in simple terms like building cockroaches you know so building mm-hmm. bugs that could explore a lab they're all done in labs and you know seek out food or light or scurry away and if somebody walked into the room it would scurry away from the sound and it would learn you know learn that if it had this kind of behavior and it failed then like in the natural world, it would eventually die. So the next generation would have what they call genetic algorithms back then. So a set of, where you know, did, where did you go to school? Sussex, is- Sussex <laughs> university in, 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 <laughs> but it, this was 1994 when AI was like, you know, guys in beards and sandals, you know, and, and <laughs> people thought, why the hell do you ever want to study that? And it was a laughable thing back then because it was cockroaches and frogs and, but I get, you know, the point was that people were starting, the goal was that they said, well, if we can mimic a cockroach, the next, you know, to get to the next step, which is a rat, is not a big step, right? We're kind of getting, and then, you know, from a rat, we could go to some other kind of bigger mammal and, you know, eventually we'll get to human beings. That was the, the big goal of the whole thing. So there's lots of people studying all these kind of very, confined context uh projects which was really fascinating but in their own people said well you know why you know why am i going to fund somebody building a cockroach and that was why ai and robotics back then never really kind of made sense to the you know the outside world so it's i'm fascinated now that you said i mean you said off tape that there was you know you had this bigger idea and especially now that you said with mimetic i'm really fascinated because you said just now that you have gone into scheduling because there's this really confined context. You know, you can't go off and then talk about, you know, how is your vacation provene, that type of thing, right? It's not going to get involved in that yet. 
but you have this bigger idea. So let's talk about that. Did you go into this with the bigger idea first or did you go into this and say, hey, look, we've got a scheduling assistant. Let's see what else we can do with it. So uh, the genesis of EV really, I think this was back in 2013 when Jen and I had first, uh, early 2013 when Jen and I had first met uh, while we were at Yahoo and we were working on this project together and uh, he was the project leader uh, leading this new product that Yahoo was building at that time and, and, and the project teams were scattered across uh, five different cities, Sunnyvale, New York, Bangalore, Taiwan and Singapore. So getting people together just for whip meetings was a bit of a nightmare. You spending too much time on it. So that was kind of where we started the conversation. And we very quickly went from there to, uh, hey, but, you know, I'm not just spending all of my time trying to corral people at the same time and place to meet. But also a lot of my time is being bled away with administrative tasks that are not core to my function, things like, filing expenses, updating CRMs, booking my own travel. Uh, you know, it's it was taking up anywhere between 40 and 60% of our time. Mm. And our workday just kept getting longer and longer as a result. But we weren't getting anything more productive. Uh, so him having a background in this sort of thing uh, said, well, you know what, actually technologies uh, at that point now where we can think about building these assistants that would work exactly like human beings. And I sort of took his word for it. Uh, and we talked about it. I know we talked about it for uh, upwards of six months until he, one day he finally came to me and said, right, I'm, I'm speaking to my boss tonight. I've decided I'm going to quit and I'm going to go build this. And he said, are you in? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> Good luck with that. But uh, but actually... So, so wait, having... back, back up a bit. He, he was... In Yahoo at the time, he was leaving Yahoo, and he he asked you if you were in. Yeah, he was he he was going to he'd come to me one day and said, "Look, I'm, I've decided. We've been talking about this for a really long right. time. I'm leaving Yahoo. I'm going to go out and start building this. Uh, would you want to join me?" You said and no. I I wasn't ready at that right. point. Right, it's just kind of kicking off my corporate career. Uh, so I said no, but you know, have, having felt some responsibility for talking him off the cliff. <laughs> walking him off the cliff at that point, I said, uh, well, here's a small contribution to the cause, uh, all the best. And then he was really good about uh, keeping in touch mm. over the course of the next two and a half, three years, uh, keeping us updated on what progress was. And then uh, summer 2015, him and I got talking again. And personally, I was at that point where I was ready to try something new and, and, we'd had an MVP of EV coming up at that point. So it was really a very happy concatenation of circumstances. Uh, I left, I was at Disney at that point. I left, uh, joined Jin. Uh, you know, we, we launched the product in beta, I think at the end of 2015, uh, kicked off fundraising and, you know, started building a company. And here we are. Uh, it's been, it's coming up on two years for me now. He's been at this for about three and a half going four years. So it's been a very interesting ride for us. Yeah, and that in a lot that alone is a, a story well worth digging into. That that leaving the corporate world and you had worked for some, you know, major brand names in media, which we'll talk about in a minute. CNBC, Yahoo, and the Disney Maker Studios as well, and then becoming an entrepreneur in your own right. 
So that's fascinating. I'm curious about the bit you're talking about the fundraising when you started out. You got funded mm-hmm. by Seed Plus, based in Singapore, right? And we had Michael on the show not too long ago. Smithy, you mean? Yeah, Michael Smith. So we had him on the show, which was great. So when you went and pitched a product like this, and I'm sure you didn't just talk to these guys, you'd practice with many other people as well, is what was, did, did you find that like those, those conference interactions when people walk up to you and, ah, oh, Evie, ah, oh, right, you're the Evie guys, right? What was the, the real, click with people here was it that they actually use this thing now and they completely got it or was it the big picture idea about what this could be or what what did you find that people really got about evie when you were sitting the other side of table asking for money yeah so i think even as early as uh three and a half years ago when jim started doing this it was very hard to raise money for something like this, especially in this part of the world, because nobody would write a check for so speculative a project as this. Hmm. Um, it's hard to explain to them why uh, scheduling was an important problem uh, that needed to be solved or could even be solved, right? So, uh, so in the early years, uh, we were bootstrapped and we were grant government grant funded so that's kind of what kept us alive and kept uh allowing jin to keep building this uh for the first two and a half years as it were and then when i came on board and we actively started fundraising again you you'd get a range of responses right i've certainly been laughed out of many rooms Mm. uh about what we were doing uh, it so, was, it, so tell us about that, because that, that's an important part of your journey, right? That you can't gloss over being laughed out of a room because where you are now is important, right? Because you didn't give up. So tell us about those stories. We want to hear them. Yeah, I remember the first week uh, when I joined Jin and, and I know back to back over the course of two days, we had meetings with uh, a couple of ex-entrepreneurs uh, who had a background in AI and would spend uh, their graduate school years in some very prominent labs in the US. Uh, and they looked at us and they said, like, why are you doing this? I mean, oh, we've tried this before and it all came to nothing. You, mm. you know, is this the best use of your time? And, you know, it was my first week of the job and I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Right. right. I've just, I've just quit a very comfortable job to come and do this. And here we have these guys who are ostensibly experts in the field. Exactly. Uh, that, that, just, that must have raised a bit of doubt in you, right? Because you're not an AI guy. And when you've got these AI guys telling you that. Right. Right. So, so, but you know, I, I rightly, I placed a lot of trust in Jin. Yeah. I trusted that he knew what he was doing. And he, he sort of explained it. He's very good at breaking things down. And he kind of explained it to me and it made sense. And, and he, we're still here today. And, uh, you know, it, it, what we're doing today is making a lot more sense to people. It's easier to get meetings now. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think it's going well. Fantastic. So, okay. Well, you did get funding. You have grown and you're, you know, you're developing the product. Do you see, uh, you know, EV being the start of something else bigger in the sense that, like you said, 
scheduling is a great way to learn like within a confined set of rules but you know where would that go from there what would be a natural extension only share what you're allowed to share obviously and what you want to share publicly but give us a more generic picture of where that could go yeah so the starting point for us is our problem statement is that we're spending too much of our time on things that are non-core to what we do and and we're being inundated by tasks uh, and, and that's kind of leading to a modern version of, I guess, alienation of labor. Uh, you know, you're doing all these things and you can't really connect with your work anymore. Whereas we, I think as human beings, uh, derive satisfaction from being able to exercise uh, our creative faculties, right? So what we're doing with EV is we really, we want to build an assistant that can go on, run off and do these non-core administrative tasks autonomously. And that should leave you time and space to take a step back and really ask yourself, how best do I employ my, uh, my talents and my energies? So we started with scheduling. And if you think about it in a corporate environment, if you have control of a person's calendar, that tends to be the focal point of their activities. Uh, everything they do gets planned around their calendar. So beyond just uh, scheduling meetings, there are other ways in which uh, we can be helpful. And it's not easy to, ex- uh, it's not hard to extrapolate from here where we go next, right? Mm. It's things like, uh, you know, travel and accommodation, helping you resolve your expenses, which used to be half day activities for us back back in the day when yeah. we we finally get around to filing our expenses after uh, multiple threatening emails from finance. Yes. Say, if you don't file now, <laughs> we're not going to pay you. Uh, so that, in theory, should save you uh, more time, give you more uh, mind space to really become more effective at what you do. Yeah. Yeah, th- this is a very interesting space. I've, I've used that uh, for some time now, and it's not, it's not a, an AI bot in any way, but I've used Zapier for a number of, well, months now, which is basically, you know, uh, a service which, you know, you can plug into Gmail or you can plug into Google Spreadsheets or anything really, just anything with an API. And what it will do is, you know, if this input happens, I can do this output for you. Right. And a classic case would be if you put something in Dropbox in this file, uh, an MP4 file, which is a video file, I'll upload it to YouTube for you using this set of tags and this information that you've put in Evernote. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a, an AI scheduling assistant or an assistant in any way. But, you know, what's interesting about that is what I've learned. And I think this is something that you're doing as well, is it's not really about time. You know, you're not saving time at the end of the day. What's really interesting, especially for people like us, Praveen, is it's saving decisions, right? And, you know, I I read a really interesting story about Barack Obama. And when he was in office, he, every day he wore one of two suits. It was like a dark blue suit or it's like a charcoal gray suit. And every morning he had the same thing for breakfast. He had like two boiled eggs and like, you know, a side of toast every day or granola. And when asked why why he did that, he said, look, you know, I'm the president of the United States. The last thing I want to be doing is wasting my decision energy on what I'm going to have for breakfast, right? Because he needs to be making a decision about, you know, do I press the button on North Korea or, you know, whatever. So it's interesting that 
I, I find the space that you're in is more now we're realizing it because we started out thinking it's about time, but what we're realizing is this whole thing about decision fatigue. It's like an energy. You know, if you work in an environment where you're constantly making decisions, you know, by midday, you've run out. But if you can use Eevee, you can kind of free that up and relieve some of the decision energy for you. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, you wake up every morning with a finite amount of uh, energy and willpower, and every decision, every action that you take uh, kind of drains from that pool. Uh, so in, in our world, for example, if, 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 you're constant, if your energies are constantly being drained by non-core administrative tasks, by the time you actually sit down to do uh, the work that you're meant to do and you're meant to be creative at it, you probably don't have the level of energy mm. and uh, bandwidth required to be any good at it, right? So you're absolutely right. We're taking away uh, having to think about things, having to remember things, and having to make decisions about low-order tasks. You're automating all of that so that you're saving your your mental bandwidth for things that are really important and really the things that only you can and should be doing mm-hmm. as a function of who you are, your education, your experiences, your expertise. The machines can't do any of that. Yeah, that, that's a really important point. There's a lot of fear at the moment about AI, isn't it, and machines, that they're going to take away everything and we're just going to be automated. But like you said, we automate the stuff that we shouldn't be doing anyway. The heavy lifting in our lives is done by these assistants, right, leaving us to focus on the really important stuff like relationships and well, the stuff that, you know, you, from your background, the front end stuff, like talking to people, you can never, you know, replace a face-to-face meeting. And that that's really interesting. Your assistant isn't replacing that. I know some people want to come and meet Evie, which is kind of like an interesting byproduct. But ultimately, you're facilitating the stuff that can't be automated, right? If that makes, You're automating that human interaction, which is really interesting because that's the stuff that machines can never do. And But to do the heavy lifting, it enables more of that to happen. So I'm really curious to know where that would go, you know, what the future opportunities are. But that's really speculation. You're in the space to know better than everybody else. But that's a sort of a future story that you can share here. So I want to change gears a little bit here and just go back to that whole thing about leaving your, I guess, if I can use the word comfortable, safe life in media, in corporate world, and then becoming an entrepreneur. And, you know, what that was like for you, because Jin left before you. Yeah. And he, he sort of got things going. And then you came later on, you know, and you had this experience, the first few meetings that you had, obviously you got a bit of a knockback on Evie and your project or Mimetic at the time. Um, so it wasn't like you were suddenly walking into a, a business where you had everything laid out for you, right? You know, you had lots of subscriber customers, you had, you know, everybody knew what you were and, you know, it was just now a growth story. How was that for you leaving, you know, CNBC, Yahoo, Disney to go and start what would it have been a two man startup back then? Just describe those early days for us. Yeah. So I think uh, we were always very clear eyed about our mission and the problem that we were uh, setting out to solve. Now, and the way I often describe this is, you know, going up to people, at least in those days, and telling them about EV was 
is pretty much walking up to somebody in 1979 with a prototype of a of a handphone, a mobile phone, which used to be very large and chunky at that point, right? And then people would go, well, why do I need to be lugging this thing around, right? Mm. Uh, you know, I don't need to call anybody urgently. Nobody needs to call me urgently. Their phone's at home and in the office and stuff like that. So, and, and, and with, with meetings and scheduling and stuff like that, people have sort of internalized this norm where they've just become accustomed to doing these things themselves, right? So the early people that we talked to were like, well, you know, I schedule my own meetings and it doesn't seem to be that much of a thing. But really, we knew that if we could get them to experience a different way of doing things, they wouldn't go back, mm. right? Having said that, uh, those early days when I joined up, it was just Jin and our first engineer. It was just two of them, itinerant coders, uh, going from one coffee shop to another <laughs> over the course of two and a half years, which is where they were working out of. Um, and then uh, when I joined, uh, you know, Jin was still heavily involved. And uh, at that point, I think he was basically uh, still writing the bulk of the code. And then we were running around trying to fundraise thereafter trying to hire. So um, on the one hand, uh, yes, you're right. It, it was a little bit uncomfortable to what I was accustomed to. But on the other hand, I think we were very clear-eyed and we still are very clear-eyed about what it is that we wanted to achieve in the world with, with EV. And, and that mission is what keeps us going. So I think we feel very good that uh, we're solving a problem that, needs solving it looks on the on the surface it looks trivial it looks meetings but actually when you sit down and you crunch the numbers it's a non-trivial problem right mm. um people take anywhere from actually the average ev user takes about five meetings a day uh, and our internal data tells us it takes about 4.4 emails just to get these right. meetings set up you know you go back and forth their reschedules and stuff like that even if you spend let's say five minutes with each of these emails over the course of the year, it, it works out to be about eight working days per person that you spend on something so trivial as email, uh, or as, as scheduling. And then if you multiply that, you multiply that time spent across large organizations, and all of a sudden it's a big problem. It's a big productivity uh, sink. Yeah, I, I think people don't realize it as well. My, my old boss, Praveen, used to say to me, look, do you want to... Um, he used to say something like, you can increase your productivity 20%. And you say, well, how can I do that? And he says, well, clear your desk. And you don't realize just something as simple as that, how that affects your productivity and mind space. Because, you know, there's stuff sitting on your desk. It's constantly there reminding you it needs to be done. It's like there's... It's, it's, it's clutter, right? Yeah, on your right. desk, in your inbox. Exactly. Uh, what to have for breakfast, what to wear. These are all the things that clutter your mind and keep you from moving quickly. Let's talk about those EV users because I think they're a really important part of your story. I want to know a bit more about them and how they've been part of that journey with you. You've already given us some great examples like people coming to the office wanting to meet EV. This is great. I mean, people, I guess they don't feel duped, but when they find out, I think it must be a positive thing, right? You know, it's like, oh, wow, that's really cool rather than, oh, what? That was a bot? You know, you get that positive response. People are open to that. So tell us a little bit about the kind of users and interactions that you've had and things that they've said to you that have shaped Evie and made you think, ah, oh, wow, I didn't think of it like that. 
Yeah, so a product category like this, I think, you know, if you look at the innovation diffusion curve, when we started out, it was really in the innovator space. So the types of people that we'd run into are really very early adopters of all kinds of technologies. And, you know, they're very patient about, they understand that uh, things like this are works in progress and they, they were great evangelists. So we, we've been lucky in that our users have been uh, the ones who've helped us spread EV. Uh, they use EV liberally and, and, and they talk about EV mm. and they tell everybody that they know about EV and they, they even go to the point of making people sign up on the spot. Right. right? So we've been, we've been very lucky to, uh, uh, that, that, you know, what we're doing, uh, found the right group of people early on and they've really helped us grow. I think where we are now, I think we're, we're approaching that chasm. Now we're, we're between, uh, early adopters and early majorities. Now you start having, uh, companies as well as large enterprises, uh, becoming cognizant of the problem and they're looking for solutions to this problem, right? So they're, they're looking across the market, uh, there are a lot of future of work, future of meeting committees that we run into in large companies right now who are really looking for solutions to uh, this problem of corporate time sinks. Uh, so we're at that point now where I think it's about to tip over and cross the chasm into mainstream adoption. Hmm. But that's where your experience in media comes in and working for these companies like CNBC and Yahoo because you know – the language of those people, right? You can go and sell that, you know, that solution to what their problem is. You need to be able to speak their language. That's the problem for a lot of entrepreneurs, isn't it? They don't really know how corporates work and they're not sort of sensitive to what goes on behind that meeting, right? But you have that background, which I think is a really important ad because if you want to go into corporates, you've got it. I think people are always amenable to a good story. And if you can, you know, kind of tell your story, in a compelling and succinct fashion, uh, I think people are ready to come on board. There will always be people who are further down that adopter curve and you'll get to them eventually. Uh, it's about identifying the right people and telling them in a compelling fashion why this is interesting and why this could be of value to them and then really going from there. Once We're fairly confident that once we get EV into people's hands, you know, she kind of just goes from there. She, the product, she speaks for herself, right? Uh, at that point, we can take a step back and and really she demonstrates her own value. That's Praveen Velu, everybody, co-founder of Evie, Evie.ai. Praveen, before I let you go, you need to let us know where we can find out more about you. Find out more about you. And also, I think people should go and try out Evie. So share with us some links, if you may that we can go and check out your background and find out how this scheduling assistant works. Right. So we're, uh, we are EVIE, that's Echo Victor India, Echo.ai on the web. Go to the website. Please sign up, try EV, uh, give us feedback. We always love hearing from our users. Uh, me, I'm on LinkedIn, I guess, uh, Praveen Velu. Uh, that's pretty much uh, where I am mostly uh, because that's where our, our users tend to be as well. We'll put all the details in the show notes. And Praveen, Evie, speaking to Evie, does that work? Just curious because, you know, you're going to get to a time where that's going to be more of a probability, right? Where you now have two Evies talking to each other. Does that 
all hang together nicely? Well, the thing is, there's only really one EV, right, on the back end. So when two EV users try and schedule a meeting, uh, there's no back and forth. She comes back immediately and goes, guys, based on your schedule, I've sent an invite for Thursday right. 2 p.m., right? So it, it just uh, makes the entire process, uh, boils it down to a single email. Fantastic. Praveen, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been really interesting. I, I feel that we only just scratched the surface. There's so much, not just in terms of what you're doing, but also where you're going. Because like you said, this is really a starting point. And as you learn and master what you're doing with Evie in the scheduling side of things, you can add extra competencies on top of that. And that really then makes you relevant to a whole wide range of new people and it's going to be really fascinating to see that growth story and where you're going with that so please come back on asia tech podcast stories and share your story with us because we want to see where that's going i feel that this is going somewhere and we want to you know help share that story with people in our network as well so praveen thanks so much for coming and joining us on the show today graham thanks for your time it's been a pleasure talking to you you've been listening to asia tech podcast Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.